this is one of my favorite books to teach. It's the 32nd book in the Old Testament. So if you don't have a Bible, snatch one off the back. You know they're back there. Take it. Keep it. Um, this one's a little trickier to find. It's about two pages. But it's about seven books from the New Testament. So if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, back up seven books or so, and you'll be right at Jonah. So uh, we've been following the story of God. You hear this every week, but it's important that you hear it every week. Because you're learning the point of the Bible over and over. So in the beginning was God. Before the beginning was God, God created the beginning. He created the world. He created everything that exists. He created Adam. He created Eve. Adam and Eve were uh, together with him in a perfect existence, in a perfect place. But they chose to create their own kingdom, to live by their own rules, to satisfy their own desires. And in doing so, uh, death entered the world. God made a prompt sin and death. God made a promise to the woman there, to Eve, that a child from her own body, uh, descendant basically from her, would be bring redemption, would bring salvation, would right this death, conquer it, and, and, and defeat sin. All these things, this what became known as a Messiah, this promised person. And so from the, form, the, the, the forming of the world, the beginning from creation, from Genesis Chapter basically three, when this happened, all the way on through the rest of your Bible, we're looking for this person um, and watching for him. And so the story goes on and Adam and Eve have children and they have children and they have children and they have children. And the story kind of follows along till we come to the flood. God preserves a family because he's promised this child. So he preserves a family through the flood. On the other side of the flood, that family grows. Noah and his family, they grow and grow and grow and multiply and multiply. And then God, from all of the people on the earth, uh, zooms in on Abraham, a descendant of Noah, a descendant of Adam. And with Abraham, God puts this promise to Abraham, this child that's been promised to Eve is going to come from you. And I'm going to give you land where all this is going to occur. All these things start to take shape. And Adam, excuse me, Abraham has uh, the, a son. Abraham has Isaac. I can't spit it out there, Wiley. Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel uh, because Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And then Israel grows as into that, those, that family grows into this big nation over time. And then God uh, moves that nation from bondage in Egypt back into a land that he promised to them. Moses led them there. Joshua walked them into that land. And then from that point forward in your Bible, it's about that nation, family, nation, and that land and looking for this promised person. Uh, they were governed as a nation by people called judges. There's a whole book of that. It's a lot like judges are in our world, except these guys also commanded armies. And a woman, there's a woman too that did it, commanded their armies. Then it went from that to kings. And just like modern kings, there was a, a king that ruled the land and did all of that. And we're still in that time. But your Bible continues to talk about these people who advised the kings on what God would say. Uh, those people were called prophets. So Jonah is one of those. And that's where we're at today is with Jonah. And we're looking at him. Uh, this is around seven, 700s, something like that, B.C., so you're about 700-something before, eight, close to 800s before Christ. So that's where we're at. What really happened in the fish? Most of us know Jonah. Today we're going to address what really happened in the fish, and I hope you all don't stone me when this is over, but, but it's going to be interesting, I can promise you. Um, 
I know I just put you in Jonah. So if you've got a bookmark, bookmark it or put your hand there for two seconds and turn five books to the right to Matthew. Okay, turn five books to the right to the Matthew, or seven books, however many it is, to Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. But hold Jonah, because we're coming back to Jonah, but I want you to see this. It'll be on the board, but I, I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 12. All right? Jesus is being quizzed by these religious leaders of his time, and they're doubting who he is. And they're saying they want to see a sign, although Jesus has done countless signs, even raising somebody from the dead, yet they want to see a sign Because they just don't believe him. Verse 38 of chapter 12 of Matthew says, Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He's poking his finger at them. No sign's going to be given to you, basically, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as, and this is the key verse, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let me pray. Lord, again, I I lift your word up way above mine. I'm just a busted up old man, uh, Lord, who you rescued from a drug problem. God, I, I have... No glory in me that gives me a right to stand with a microphone except the Holy Spirit that you poured into my life when I repented and gave my life to you. And I pray, Lord, that you speak, not me, that you teach, not me, because I want to learn. Even though I know it's my mouth open and my notes here, Lord, it all came out of your word. And I pray that your word is what's heard today um, by all ears, mine as well. Ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can go back to Jonah. So back in 2000. 11, uh, I talked through Jonah uh, for the first time in a large church in East Tennessee, uh, and I had a podcast that's still up there somewhere, but a podcast on it, and so there were several episodes of that podcast through Jonah. Now, decades later, I think that, or I know that podcast is still there, although nothing's been added to it, but decades later, uh, there were hundreds more podcasts that were up there over tons of other teachings, but the first Jonah podcast still by far has the most downloads. I even did Revelation, but the first Jonah podcast has the most downloads. And I learned something about people because I'll tell you why it has the most downloads because I called it No More Veggie Tales. Uh, and that was my picture up there, No More no more Veggie Tales. Now, if you don't know, among Christians, Veggie Tales is a super popular or was super popular little animated thing uh, where Christian I mean, excuse me, Bible characters were vegetables, and it may still make them. I don't even know. And I'm not hating on them at all. But adults loved it, too. They made a Jonah movie and all of that. And uh, But I, I realize I don't think most people listen to more than a few seconds of that download. They just want to know what I had against the Veggie Tales, you know. It wasn't really about what I preached on Jonah. It, was, it could have been a terrible thing, but they all bit on the, the hook of what the title was. The fact is I don't have anything against children's. Programs. I don't have nothing against VeggieTales. I don't even have anything against Disney in this case or anybody else. Um, but I do have a problem with adults still clinging to a children's interpretation of Scripture, if that makes any sense. That maybe it's time to grow up and realize that they are not vegetables. Jonah was a person. You know, these things actually occurred. These things actually happened. Jonah was not in a cave floating on a, you know, a raft around a campfire. 
he, he, it was a fish, a real fish. So what happened? Well, I gave you the, I give you a point, a main point that's on that sheet of paper. And if you got it, that's fine. If you don't, you can get one on the way out or whatever. But it says God can use us, and this is important, God can use us even though we may rebel. All right? God can use us even though we may rebel, but it's to display his son and the gospel, and it matters for us how he does it. Okay? So even if we rebel, God can still use us to display his son and the gospel, but it matters for us how he does it. Okay? Um, and maybe you're wondering why I flipped you all the way over to start in Matthew. Well, the reason why is because, and we'll look at it, but what Jesus is saying there is wild. Jesus quoted Isaiah multiple times. Jesus quoted other uh, prophets. But Jonah's the only prophet that Jesus himself literally compared himself to. That Jesus said, look at Jonah. Look at Jonah. Um, and so as we unpack Jonah here really quick, we won't do all of Jonah, but we'll do a chunk of it. Um, Keep in mind what he said, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to unlock a lot. It might even challenge what you've always thought. So look at verse 1, Jonah 1, verse 1. Um, and we're going to go quick because we're going to cover a lot, but, but we want to do the whole book. Don't freak out, but we're going to cover a lot. Verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Before I go any farther, the word of the Lord is a person, I believe. That is a title. That's not, it could be a voice in the air, it could be something like that, but I think that is a title for a person of God. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I say that, you can go back and look at it and see it. Uh, but a great reason is because in chapter 1 of John in the New Testament, John talking of Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He goes on to say the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think the Word is a title for God. So... When it says the word of God came to Jonah, that word came, and this is important, that word came is, is walked. Remember, your Bible is actually in Hebrew. So just like if you were talking to somebody who's fluent in Spanish, your Spanish-English words might be close, but not exactly the same. And if you really know Spanish, there might be more to that than you're hearing. Same thing with Hebrew. Not that came is wrong, but the word is walked. Uh, and then it says, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, so you get that. The word walked to Jonah saying. So if you see a visual picture here, it's a person of some kind walking up to Jonah and speaking to him. All right. Saying. And if, you, and if you've been with us throughout the Old Testament, God has been present, visibly present. We've, we've talked about it multiple times. All right. So anyway, in any event, he says in verse two, arise, go. Same word. Walk, walk to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What come up means is it's ascended. It's like the smoke in the temple that was from the incense, and it was supposed to carry this pleasing aroma up to God. He's saying the stink of their evil has come up in my face, God is saying. And he's saying, I want you to go over there. Before me means in my face. He's saying the stink of this people is in my face. Their evil is in my face. I want you to go to them. Now, again, this is the late, almost, it's all around 800, maybe 780, something like that, B.C. Where's Nineveh? Nineveh still exists. It's buried underground. There's still mounds of dirt and stuff there. It's near Mosul in Iraq, but the location still exists. Some say in his prime, maybe in in, in a Jonah's day, it was the size of Houston, Texas. Huge place. 
It was known for brutality. These people conquered with absolute viciousness. They resettled whole populations. In fact, they will ultimately conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. But they were known for displaying carnage in order to scare people from rebellion. So they would uh, skin their prisoners alive, stab them, behead them, and put them on poles. A lot of gruesome junk. I'm not going to go into it all. But imagine the most horrible things you could do to a body. They would do that and then, and then hang these bodies up that people could be seen. And this is who he's saying, go. Tell them their evil is in my face. Uh, there's a point, by the way, not to be missed in Jonah is this. God loves the whole world. God loves the whole world. Even the most unlovable, even the most undeserving, we would say. You know, and before you think, why would God send a prophet to those people? For most of us, like myself, I'm with those people. You know what I mean? I could say, thank God you sent a prophet to me, in a manner of speaking. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Nobody's exactly positive where that is, but we know it's across the Mediterranean Sea uh, from Israel. And he goes from the presence or from the face of the Lord. So he's been with the Lord and he runs away to this place. He went down to Joppa. That's a city in Israel. It's still there today. Molly and I have been to Joppa. It still exists. And they found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. That's important to note. Financial cost here to run from God. It wasn't just like he took off running. It's, he's spent money to get away from God. And there's always a cost, by the way, if you're running from God. And he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away again, repeated, away from the presence of the Lord. You were right there in the face of God. He's commanded to go east. He goes west. He's commanded to walk across the land. He jumps on a boat and sails across the sea. Couldn't be more opposite here. James 4.17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here's what Jonah's forgetting, man. He has the gift of being close to God. He's been in the face of God. He's been right there. But the challenge is too great. You know, the danger is too real. The racism and judgment, which was probably there in two, you know, it runs too deep. So he's going to reject the blessing of being used by God and even pay to get out of it. And from this moment on, Jonah 1.17, look at verse 17. Jonah 1.17 has begun. And the Lord appointed, prepared in advance, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So the plan of the fish is in motion now. Jonah has no idea that he's sailing directly to this fish. He's not sailing to Tarshish. He's now sailing to a fish. The plan is in place from God's point of view. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind. That word wind is spirit, like a, a spirit. of It is a wind, but there's more in it. Upon the sea, and there was... And this is kind of cool. It's literally saying instead of there was, it's he arose. So there was or or he arose this mighty tempest, this violent storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners. Now, what are mariners? Yeah, sailors like professional sailors, professional sailors. These guys have handled storms. This is not the first time they've ever been in a storm. So for what, look what it says, they were afraid and they cried out to their God. This must have been epic. This was no small event, whatever it was. And they hurled the cargo, more cost now, to Jonah's rebellion. More co- Now it's costing other people for Jonah to run from God. That happens too, by the way. 
that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. It's a, obviously, it's a larger vessel because he's been able to go down into it. And he's laid down and was sleeping. So the captain comes down and says, what are you doing? How can you possibly sleep right now? Arise, get up, go call out to your God, little G. Perhaps the God, he has no idea who Jonah is, perhaps the God will give a thought to us or take notice of us that we should not perish. Uh, Maybe he's going to take pity on us. We're all doing it. Everybody's calling out to somebody. Get up and do it too before we all die. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. That's just like rolling dice. We'd say, let's draw straws. You know, same kind of idea. Let's just draw straws. Who draws the smallest straw? Uh, in this case, cast and dice kind of thing, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. More cost now. Now they recognize it's evil. It's a spiritual cost now. So they cast lots. That means no partiality. God will decide. Let's see who draws the straw. We, we might call it luck. They're saying whichever one does it, that's a God thing. And the lot fell on Jonah. Um, man, listen, there's no victimless crimes. Especially if you're in a spiritual position in God's kingdom, there's no running away from God and expecting it to affect nobody. Look at verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Where are your people? I mean, they're all up in his face quizzing him like, who are you? Where'd you come from? What do you do? Who have you made mad? Who are you running from? I mean, they're all up in his business. They're asking him questions so fast he can't even answer Finally, he says to him in verse 9, he says to him, and remember, the storm is raging all around him, man. This boat is tipping sideways. Water is flooding all over the top of it. Uh, lightning is probably slamming the ground. The water everywhere. The sky is black. Uh, the winds are ripping the mast apart. And, and Jonah says, <laughs> Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear or worship. The Lord, when it's all caps like that, it's the proper name. Jehovah, I am. I worship this, the God of Abraham. The God of heaven, he said, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, meaning terrified. So you just told me you're the God who made what's trying to kill us. I mean, you worship the God who made what's trying to kill us. And they're horrified. And they said, what have you done? Like, what did you do? Remember, this is a time, too, of multiple gods, you know, in the Greek and the Roman world. Um, And so you've upset the gods in a manner of speaking. What did you do? Uh, He says, "For for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So he told them he was running from somebody. Now they know who he's running from. Why was he running, by the way? Had he committed adultery? Had he robbed somebody? Was he a murderer? No, man, God called him to serve. Like God called him to serve. That's, that's it. That's all he's running from is God called him to serve. Was it scary? Yes. Was he going to do something he was uncomfortable with? Oh, most certainly. But God called him to serve. That's it. Verse 11. Then they said, well, what do we do with you? That it says again, he... The sea. It says in our language, the sea. But just like in, in, uh, just like in Spanish, words have a masculine or feminine context here. So it's literally saying, what should we do for you that he, the sea, might quiet down for us or, 
or calm from against us. For he, the sea, grew more and more tempestuous. That word grew is walks or storm. So picture this is what's happening. It's almost like the harder that they, whatever they're doing, that God... This spirit upon the sea, this wind upon the sea, I'll call, I'll say it's God, is walking on the sea and kicking the water at him. And kicking the water at him and throwing the lightning at him. It's just a visual, but that idea, violently kicking the water at him. And the more that they make an effort to figure out what's going on, the harder that he kicks and the harder that he's pushing this stuff against him. And by the way, sea should be feminine. All sailors referred to the sea in a feminine context. But here, the Hebrew word picture here is intended as a he. Because they don't see the ocean here. They see the God of the ocean here. So it's not about the water. It's about the one who is kicking the water against them. Verse 12. He said to them, Jonah says, pick me up or raise me up and hurl me into the sea. Now that's weird. Why not just jump? If you're the problem, jump. Why well, say pick me up and throw me in? Then he, the sea, will quiet down from, for you from against you. Same kind of language. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder. They struggled harder to get back to land, but they could not. For he, the sea, grew or walked more and more tempestuous against them. So the more they try to get to land on their own, the harder, I'll say it, God is kicking the waves at them. The harder they try to come to land, the harder God is kicking the waves at them. And they know they can't do it. Verse 14, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now it's not your God, my God, a God. Now it's this one God, Jehovah, by name. They call out to him by name. Oh, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. Was he innocent? For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked or raised up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Literally, it says he stood. So you have this crashing and these waves, and the the boat is trying to flip, and it's starting to crack, and the mast is coming down, and lightning is striking the water, and they throw Jonah over, and everything's dead silent. Dead silent. And Jonah's floating in a perfectly still ocean. And I don't know about you, but I'm needing new pants at this point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, this is a terrifying moment at that point. And look, that's what happens in a sense. Verse 16. Then the men feared Jehovah Yahweh exceedingly. Now they are in awe that this God is God. <laughs> it's not just a God that he follows. This is God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Right then they commit their lives to him. I'm yours. We'll follow you anywhere. My vow is to follow Yahweh for the rest of my life. To follow Jehovah for the rest of my life. Period. Now, before we go on, before we go on, let's back up just real quick. And let's see why Jesus, thus far, pointed to Jonah to display himself. Okay? I'll give him to you really quick. Probably find a lot, but similarities here. Verse one, I already told you. The word of the Lord to Jonah, I believe the word is Jesus. I believe that is him. Because we know in the New Testament, John says the word of the Lord was Jesus. So I believe that's his presence. In verse three, Jonah paid a fare to betray God's call. Judas 
did the same thing to Jesus. In verse 4, the Lord hurled this great wind and then stopped it. With Jesus, the disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, were in a storm with Jesus in a boat. And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who is this then, when Jesus says, be still, that even the wind and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's causing the storm in Jonah's time. He was calming the storm in Mark's time. In verse 5 of Jonah, Jonah and Jesus both are asleep in the storm. In Mark chapter 4, it tells you that that Jesus slept in the storm. In verse 7, sailors cast lots to find the guilty. Uh, In Jesus' time, soldiers cast lots for the clothes of the guilty, even though Jesus was innocent. In verse 9, Jonah claimed to follow the God who made all things. Jesus created all things. Paul wrote that in Colossians 1.16, uh, John 1.2. All things were created by him, and apart from him was nothing made that was made. All right? In verse 12 here, Jonah said, Raise me up and cast me to death, and he, the sea, will stop raging. Jesus said the same thing about the cross. Uh, John 8, it'd be up here on the board, but John 8, verse 28, Jesus says to this group, when you have lifted up, same thing, raised up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. What did He mean when you've raised up me up? He's talking about on the cross. John 3, verse 14, we all know John three sixteen, but what led to that was him saying this he quoted the old testament he said as moses raised up or lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life it's the same picture that they jonah couldn't jump because that wasn't the point we're painting a picture of jesus now it's not about you anymore jonah now it's about jesus so we're going to paint a picture these guys have raised you up and throw you in just as jesus would be raised up on a cross these gentile mariners here Raised up Jonah and offered him in death to calm a sea. Calm the wrath of God in that sea. Gentile Romans raised up Jesus in death on a cross. And the father accepted Jesus' offering and calmed his wrath on sin. Same thing. Verse 13 of Jonah. These mariners try to do it themselves. We do the same thing, right? We try to get salvation on our own. We try to sail back to shore ourselves when it starts going bad. But the sea gets worse. That's because works are never going to get you to heaven. Works are never going to get you to the shore. Only sacrifice is going to do that and only a perfect one. God only accepts perfection. That's why Jesus, the only perfect person, and he was a sacrifice. Verse 14, the mariners beg God not to judge them if Jonah is innocent, since it's God's plan, apparently, for them to kill him. All right? Again, Jesus was innocent, and it was God's plan that he should die for the sins of others, even the ones who are killing him. You may know, but on the, at the foot of the cross, there was a Roman soldier who had put him there. Luke 23, verse 30, 47 says, when the Roman centurion at the cross saw what had taken place when this dramatic uh, darkness and stuff after an earthquake after he was crucified, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Verse 15 in Jonah, when they raised up Jonah and threw him into the sea, it stood still. When Jesus was raised on the cross, taking the sins of the world onto him and dying, it satisfied the wrath of God on sin. We call that propitiation. That's what Paul called it. 
is to satisfy wrath. Verse 16, the only response to such a great and powerful gift is humility, is, is making vows, is committing sacrifice to, 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 man, Lord, you can have me. Full devotion to him. The act of killing Jonah, get this now, this is crazy. The act of killing Jonah provided salvation for the very men who did it. And in response, they give their lives to him. That's the cross. Our sins are what brought him there. And his death saves us from those. And our response is to say, you're Lord. You, you and you only. That's what salvation is. It's not about trying harder to do better. It's not about recognizing the sacrifice that you think will work. It's about realizing the sacrifice that God already made. You know? And responding to that and giving your life to him. That's what maybe you feel like these mariners. Like you've been rowing against the shore forever, man. Trying to get back to shore. Calling out to anybody who's going to listen. Somebody save me from debt. Somebody save me from cancer. Somebody save me from PTSD. Somebody save me from, you know, the voting text messages. I'm sorry, I went there. Somebody save me from... Fears of being alone. Somebody save me from fears of losing what I have. Somebody save me from, you know, the fear of death. Whatever it is, I'm going to tell you his name because I know him just like Jonah did. His name is Jesus, and he already did that. He already did that. That's what the cross is about. Maybe it's time to stop trying to row yourself to safety and surrender to the sacrifice that's already been made. He already died for you. He already did. And we don't have to have a moment. It's up to you, man. All you got to do is tell him. It's your moment, not our moment. It's your moment. It begins with the repentance. You just do the same thing. You just recognize and fear, that, in a sense, that he is God. I can't explain how this is working, but I trust it's true. And you give your life to him. You say, you can have me. I'm, I'm devoted to you, Jesus. You lead me. You guide me. You can have my life. I, I know I can't do it anymore, and I know I deserve to die, but I'm, I'm giving it to you. Look at verse 17. Let's finish up. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, just as Jesus, facing the cross, prayed in anguish in the garden, Jonah's story continues. We're not going to do all of it, don't worry. We'll just get a little bit more of chapter 2 here and we'll wrap it up. Verse 1 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly, that's intestines of the fish. So, he, everything goes still, everybody's freaking out, and moments later, a fish comes up and swallows up Jonah. What kind of fish? Who cares? Was it a whale, a shark, a whale shark? Who cares? A fish big enough to eat the man comes up and swallows him into his, and it says from his intestines, as he's going in, he's as he's dying, in verse 2, he's crying out. Now, what's cool is Jonah wrote the whole book because only Jonah would know. But it goes from it goes now from third per- person to first person. So Jonah is telling this from his own first person perspective here. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. First person, again, he's recounting events, and it's a bit poetic, so he's, he's, he's almost singing it back in a song. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Sheol is the place of the dead. That's a proper location. It is a pro- place of the dead. It's used 65 times in the Bible in 16 different books, and it never speaks of the living. It is only speaking of the dead. Why mention Sheol, the place of the dead, if he's in the belly of a fish? Um, hold on. Verse 3. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And your waves and your billows passed over me. So picture the picture now. He's going into the fish, and the waves are starting to come over him. And he says, I'm driven away from your sight. That literally means opposite from your eyes. So I'm looking at your, you've turned your back on me. Reminds me of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said the same thing. Yet I shall look again on your holy temple. I trust that you're going to raise me out of this. Now, what happened to Jesus after the cross? What was the next stop for Jesus after the cross? Grave, right? Look at verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Wheat, seaweed wrapped around my head. Listen to me. Can you breathe with seaweed wrapped around your head? Inside a fish, underwater. Where do fish live? Underwater. The fish didn't float at the top, feeding him oxygen. That didn't happen. Now, at this point, a lot of people, and maybe you've always grown up this way. I know I did. Uh, are in an understanding that God supernaturally kept him alive. I'm going to argue that that is not the case. And I'm going to show you why. Because look what happens next. Besides he's already mentioned Sheol, look what happens in verse 6. At or to... The roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's in a fish. He's talking about seaweed, waves, billows. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, I went somewhere. And that place is described as having roots, mountains, bars, and eternal. That is not in a fish, and that is not in the ocean. That's a whole different place, wherever he's talking about. That is a whole different place, and he's saying it closed him in to eternity. That's what upon, closed upon me forever. He's saying, I was put in prison, the door was slammed. He's describing that prison as being a place that he went to that is not wet, moist, or otherwise. All right? Look what he says. He goes on. Yet... You brought up my life. Look what he says. From the pit, from Sheol. Same word. You brought me back to life, O Lord my God. Remember back why we started. This is why we started with Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Remember, I think it's on the board. For just as, just as, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Was Jesus kept miraculously alive in the grave for three days and three nights? If you think that's true, then you are wrong. And it defeats all of Christianity. In fact, there are many faiths that claim that. Muslims are one. Uh, they think either he was never fully crucified or he survived through the grave. But then you don't really understand Romans and their ability to kill. But that's beside the point. How was Jesus in the grave for three days and three nights? Dead. And he said, just like Jonah was, so will I be. So then, if that be true, what condition was Jonah in? In the fish. How long was Jesus in the grave? Three days and three nights. How long is he in the fish, it says, three days, three nights. It's the same language. Is it? Now, I know, maybe you're getting twisted, and this is why I said no more veggie tales, and everybody got all upset. You might be getting a bit twisted, and listen to me, that's okay, but let me ask you this. Everybody feels like you're robbing God. Man, God kept him alive for three days. Don't tell me God can't do that. Is that a greater miracle, or is it a greater miracle that he raised him from the dead? Come on. And, 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 and which one points more to Christ? 
You know, and it's not the only time this happened. If you remember, we're finishing up here. If you remember, Lazarus, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, same scenario. John chapter 11 will be up here in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and his, her sister and Lazarus, their brother. Loved him. Jesus loved him. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. So instead of going to heal Lazarus, when he knows Lazarus is sick and dying, he says, I love him, but I'm staying over here. Not going. And then in verse 14, Jesus told them, Lazarus, his disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So he literally lets Lazarus die and then says, but now let, now let's go. Now let's go. And the disciples got to be thinking, I don't follow Jesus, but okay. In verse four, we've already read it. And you know, Jesus goes and calls Lazarus after four days back to life, raises him from the dead. What was the point? Verse four of that same chapter, right before it all occurred, Jesus uh, said, this illness that Lazarus has, it does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified through it. Was Lazarus still going to die? Yes. But this illness that he had wasn't going to be the cause. Did he die? Yes, but Jesus raised him to life again. That illness did not bring his ultimate death. Did not. Because Jesus raised him back. Jesus said, the whole point is to glorify me. The whole point is to glorify me. So, just as Jonah, so will I. So, Jonah's whole purpose was to glorify Jesus. Last verse here, verse 10 of chapter 2. Skip down to it. Lord spoke or commanded the fish, and it vomited or outed Jonah out upon the dry land. God commanded the grave to give up his son, and the stone rolled away. God commanded the fish to give up Jonah, and it vomited him onto the shore. If he was alive, he could have just opened his mouth and walked out fine. Didn't need to be vomited up out, but a dead body of Jonah washes into the surf, I believe. And then in verse 1, the word of the Lord came or walked to Jonah a second time. So I believe Jonah's body's dead in the surf. And here comes the Lord walking up to Jonah again in the sand, whatever, to the body. And what's the first thing he says now? Arise. Resurrection. Isn't that what happened? God commanded the grave. The stone rolled away. I believe the father said, arise. And life returned to Christ. And here, life returns to Jonah. And he says the same thing. Now go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according. Best believe he did. And that's what happened with Jesus, the great commission. He told his disciples, go to all nations and take the gospel to all nations. Sharing me with all nations. Guys, if you haven't got it yet, it's all about Jesus because it's his story because he is God. He's the one we've been looking for the whole time. It's all about him. Luke 24, verse 25 says, Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection, Foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for, for me, the Messiah, to suffer what I've done, these things, the crucifixion and whatever, in order to enter into glory? And behold, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is telling you, black and white, right there, all of the prophets, all of the scripture, all of Moses, all of Jonah, all of all of it points to him. And Jonah sure did. 
So there's more to the story, but we won't go into it. You can read it in your own time. But the closure is that Jonah did go. He did proclaim in Nineveh. And the entire city repented. Maybe the greatest revival in human history God used this man to bring about. If your heart seeks God, listen to me. He's going to call it to seek others. But it matters for you how you get that done. Understand what I'm saying? If your heart seeks God, he's going to call it to seek others. But it matters for you how he gets that done, how you get that done. So let's stand up and we're going to do another song right quick, as always. And take a few minutes to, you know, just let this sink into your brain. I know it might even in some ways been a bit of a shocker. Uh, And you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. But I'm trying to point you into the word to let you see what I want you to know without a doubt. What I want you to know without a doubt is that God loves even the most unlovable. God cares about even the most undesirable. Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. Say that all the time because it's true all the time. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to look into this. I thank you for Jonah. Um, As much as I appreciate the children's stories and stuff, I thank you that he was a real person, that this really happened. I know he didn't appreciate what he went through, but... God, it's amazing how you used him to display this unbelievable picture of your son 800 years before. God, I, I want my life to do that. I don't want to be eaten by a fish. That's my worst nightmare, um, literally. But I want my life to do that. I want people to be able to look at me and, and see you in so many ways. I pray that anybody in the room that will call you Lord would say the same thing. And if there are those in the room today, Lord, that have been trying to row ashore on their own and they're ready to be done with that, I pray that they wouldn't leave today until they settle that with you. May I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.